Father in heaven, we pray that you'll be with us today, that you will guide our class through the working of your Holy Spirit. We want to do your work. We want to do it to the best of our ability. And I pray that you will direct what we do here so that it helps us to be able to serve you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, well, um, we're going to talk today about the uh, nuts and bolts of deacon and deaconess work. And we want to identify what some of those responsibilities are. And I want to remind you again what I said yesterday. Please don't be overwhelmed by what I'm sharing. Don't go back and turn in your resignation because you thought that all you had to do was prepare the communion bread if you're a deaconess once a quarter, or if you're a deacon, all you had to do is take up the offering on Sabbath morning, and now you're finding out that the one thing you thought you had to do is one about, of about 40 different things that you have to do, and they are going to add up real quick because some of them, even one of those, some of the things that I'm sharing with you is got a lot of responsibility with it. Don't be overwhelmed. Realize that this is something that we can grow into. If you've never done any of these things before, you may say, I don't know how to do that. Don't give up on that. That is what pastors are for. Now, I also know that pastors have a tendency to say, I can't keep up with what I'm doing, yet alone take time to train leaders in the church. My answer to them as the ministerial director is you cannot afford not to change your schedule and teach your leaders how to lead. Because as soon as you do and get them leading, you'll find you'll have more time to do the things that are really important to do. So at any rate, uh, that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let's talk about some of those responsibilities because there are many in order for the church to function the way the Lord wants it to function. It includes your involvement in the worship service. It includes Sabbath school. And we don't often think of deaconess and deaconesses involved in Sabbath school. This doesn't mean that during Sabbath school, a deacon or a deaconess is back counting the money or planning for what they're going to do for church service. That's not what this means. This means being involved in Sabbath school, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that involvement is. This one, almost every deacon and deaconess knows about, the communion service. What they're expected to do um, is there. We'll talk a little bit more about that just to give some further picture of that. Baptism. That one is also fairly well known because when those events take place, the first people that are called are the deacons and the deaconesses when it comes to the baptismal service. Funerals, sometimes not as well known, but usually churches understand that they have a role to play when a funeral service comes along, especially if it happens to be at the church and not somewhere else. And it's very common uh, today for a funeral service to take place at the church or if not at the church at a funeral home and then people coming to the church afterwards for a dinner or something like that. So deacons and deaconesses know that they might be called upon to be able to do that. Now those of you in, in smaller churches 
the good news is that uh, usually when those things happen, it's not overwhelming. But I know that there was a funeral recently at the Lansing Church when a little boy drowned and very sad situation, but the church rallied around and the deaconesses were providing not only food for the funeral dinner, but also for the family as they were going through the recovery process before the funeral and even preparing for it and all. There was a lot going on. There was a lot of ministry taking place and a very important and key time in events like that. Caring for the sick and the poor, this is one that's not always on a deacon and deaconess's radar today, but clearly is a responsibility both from biblical background as well as the spirit of prophecy and the church manual and the uh, uh, handbook for deacons and deaconesses makes this very clear. What does that involve? We'll talk about it. Another is visitation. This has been out there, but over, I'd say, the last 50 years or so, it slowly has faded away, something like Sabbath school. Just like Sabbath school has kind of faded into the background, personal ministries used to have a personal ministries time in front of the, of the church every Sabbath morning, and that's kind of faded away, though it's making a comeback. Those kinds of things, this has kind of faded away in the thinking of pastors, deacons and deaconesses, and elders. But I personally am anxious to see it come back with strength because it will impact your church in ways that you might at first not imagine. Another one that is very well known is caring for church resources. That includes taking up the offering, perhaps counting the offering. That means working through various aspects of the church facilities and caring for those resources. But the most important resource that a church has are the members of the church. And we sometimes forget that our church is not just a building. It is the people that make up the church family. And here's another one that's also gotten off the radar, and that is the teaching of God's Word. When you look at Acts chapter 6, it's very clear, and uh, the passages that follow, that the deacons were very much involved in sharing the Word of God. Not always in a very public way, but sometimes in a very public way. Public way as in preaching an evangelistic meeting. I would say that what Stephen did was pretty public, um, and, and in his circumstances. But then there was Philip, and we see Philip going and having a one-on-one -on -one Bible study with, uh, with the Ethiopian, don't we? Uh, the fact that he uh, you know, was taken away miraculously and, 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 and all of that, uh, we may not always get that, but you know we have divine appointments today that are every bit as miraculous as the experience that... that uh, uh, Philip had, maybe not transported from one place to another with, uh, you know, miraculously, but the contact is just as miraculous. God has his timing. He puts people in connection with each other, and God has ways of doing that. So let's put this all into uh, a broad perspective and then talk about some of the specifics.
deacons and deaconesses, are assistants to the pastors and to the elders. They are complementing the work of those leaders. The pastor can't do everything. If a pastor is running around all over the place, my wife came across uh, uh, a video here and she was showing it to me this morning. It was a video of a pastor. The pastor's on the phone. He's vacuuming the church. He's, uh, I don't know if he was fixing communion bread, and he was doing several other things all at the same moment. I really should have brought that in here. I, that might have been a great video. I, my mind just didn't click in at that moment. That's not what's supposed to be happening out there. Pastor is supposed to have a specific focus, and I don't mean specific as in so specific that he only does one thing a week. That's not what I mean. The pastor needs to be providing the spiritual guidance for the church or churches, which most of our, uh, you have. Pastor has more than one church and needs to be providing that leadership, the spiritual uh, mentorship, and working with the other leaders of the church and the elders in doing that work. You know, folks, I, I want to say this, and I want to say it kindly. Many of our pastors have two, and, and many have three, okay? If you stop and add up the number of members that most that are represented by those three churches, typically when a pastor has three churches, each of those churches is somewhere around 50 members. And if it's, if it's not 50 members on the book, it's no more than 50 people coming to church on Sabbath morning. In some cases, it's more like 10, 15, or 20 in each one of those churches. Now, let's just for argument's sake right now, on an average, every one of those three churches has 50 members. And every one of those three churches has 25 to 30 people coming to church on Sabbath morning. You do the math on that. That means that pastor is pastor for 150 members. Correct? All right. The members that are actively involved in the church and coming to church are probably somewhere about one half of that which means 75. How long should it take a pastor to visit 75 members in a given year? Now think about it, there are families, right? So it's not just individuals, in some cases it is, but some cases it's families. So 75 visits in a year, is that possible for a pastor being able to make that at least one time? If it's families, you take that and reduce it more, it's more like 40, 45, 50 families for that pastor to visit. Now, the reason I'm making this point is, how can a pastor who has 150 members be overwhelmed when some pastors have one church of 400 members? So what is it that's keeping that pastor busy if it's not doing the outreach and those kinds of things that are going on. I'm, and, and trust me, there's enough to do in pastoral ministry. What I'm saying is, if we all work together, the pastor could be really focusing in on the important issues. It does include visiting, but not visiting every week, the same people. He doesn't have to visit every member of the church once a week, not even once a month. It might be good to do it once a quarter, if that is reasonable, but there's so much else that needs to be done in advancing the gospel. I'm just saying 
Sometimes our pastors are overwhelmed because they are getting bogged down with little minutia in the local church just to keep it running, where that's where you as deacons and deaconesses come in and preventing that for, from happening. That's why I want to remind you, your assistance to the pastor and to the elders in making sure that the work of the church is functioning the way it does. The pastor should not be getting a call um, saying that the toilets are plugged and they need to be unplugged. That should not be coming to the pastor. And the pastor shouldn't having to be worrying about it. It should be going to the deacon. It should be going to the deaconesses. And I don't mean that specific all, but those kinds of things. And they should be taken care of. But there are other issues that need to be addressed as well. All right, let's talk about some of these specific details. Let's talk, first of all, about the worship service. The worship service is not just you, deacons, taking up the offering on Sabbath morning. You could do taking up the offering in a lot of different ways. There are even some churches that have decided to take up the offering by putting a, an offering bucket in the, at the door as you leave on Sabbath morning. Now, I don't care for that because I think it's part of the worship experience that some people do and have done that, whatever. But I'm, all I'm saying is that you could do that. But the worship experience is an encounter with God. God wants us to be able to connect with Him. Our people today have become our people, and I do mean society, not just church people. People today have become so dependent on entertainment. If you walk into some stores like Costco or Sam's Club or Myers or, or, or whatever, entertainment is all around you. They're entertaining you with the music you hear. When you go into an electronics part of the store, they're trying to attract you to entertainment. Do you have this entertainment package? Do you have direct TV? Do you have, they're trying to attract you and making sure you have enough entertainment in your life. Enough entertainment in your life? <laughs> Seriously? You know, but they, they're, they're doing that because they're all competing for that entertainment. We're so approached with entertainment today that when we come to church, we expect to be entertained at church. That's why many people don't like to come to church because they're not being entertained well enough. Because their pastor at their church is not Dwight Nelson, or is not Doug Batchelor, or is not Mark Finley. Is it a surprise to you that when we come to camp meeting, when Mark Finley is preaching on the weekend and the crowds are up, but when we don't have Mark Finley and it happens to be, you know, one of our local pastors or something like that, the crowds are down? No, it's that entertainment factor that's kicking in. I just love the preaching of Doug Batchelor. I just love, well, I do too. But that doesn't mean that I can't be blessed by the preaching of someone who's not Doug Batchelor. Because I'm not coming here to receive something from Doug Batchelor that makes me feel good and be entertained. I'm coming to listen to the preacher lead me closer to Jesus Christ and teach me something I need to know about my relationship with Jesus and listen to the voice of Jesus speaking something he's trying to communicate to me. And that happens through many people. So the worship service needs to be an in, uh, a place and a time when we're having an encounter with God. 
What do you as deacons and deaconesses need to do in relationship to the worship service? Obviously, there's the physical plant to care for. We need to care for that physical plant. The deacons and deaconesses are responsible to prepare the church for worship, opening the church doors and the windows, you know, when it's not 20 below outside, (laughs) adjust the church's heating, cooling, ventilation systems. In other words, there are physical activities that need to be done to prepare the service. In winter, the sidewalks need to be cleaned off so that they're safe for people to come in and, uh, and that kind of thing. These are some of the preparations that need to be done for the worship service. But then there's more than that. There's welcoming the church members and the guests and the visitors. Now, you may say, well, look, there are, there are greeters to do that. Yeah, there may be, but does it mean that deacons and deaconesses who are leaders in the church shouldn't be making guests also feel welcome? When are the, who is seating those church members or those visitors who come in? If I'm a visitor in a church, do I know even where the sanctuary is? Oh, I can probably figure it out. That's because I'm a Seventh-day Adventist minister of a few years' experience, and I'm usually able to figure out where the sanctuary might be. But what if I'm a guest off the street who's never been in a Christian church, period, let alone a Seventh-day Adventist church, and I don't know where the sanctuary is. I don't know anything about this facility. I don't know where the bathrooms are. I don't know any of that kind of thing. We need to make our guests feel comfortable and welcome. And, and we don't need to overwhelm them, but we need to let them know that we're there to be able to help them. And if there's a guest that's coming in, you know, they may want to find a seat, maybe near the back or whatever. They may do that on their own. But if the church happens to be full that day, you need to make sure that they know where they can go and sit. It's nothing more uncomfortable than coming to a church and finding that you're having a hard time figuring out where to sit and nobody is helping you do that work because deacons and deaconesses should also be ushering and making that environment comfortable. And if the church is full that day, you might have to ask some of the members and the saints who are sitting there in their assigned and registered pew that they need to slide over a little bit and that they need to make room. In all seriousness, we've had ministers who, in the conference office, not recently, but in the past, who have told us that they went into a church and they sat down in some place where it was a signed seat for the, for the parishioner and the person came in and yelled at them for sitting in that church. So, you know what? It happens, all right? We do need to help those saints too. Um, help people find seats, assist the pastor and the elders. And this is the part I want to try to, to, to help here. If the pastor and the elders and the deacons and deaconesses are coordinating, not just on Sabbath morning, but outside of Sabbath morning, they will have developed a plan that says that if we need some help with something, we, you can help us with that. And on Sabbath morning, we should be trying to identify, you know, pastors, anything that you need this morning? After all, your pastor may be coming in late from the other service that he's already done. Some of you are shaking your head. Uh huh. Yeah, you must know my church. Yeah, most of our churches are like that. I go to churches often and preach two or three times on a Sabbath, depending on the circumstances. And, and uh, so I'm running from one place to another. 
Well, there's all these things that need to be done. It may be a phone call from the pastor saying, you know, I'm going to need such and such on Sabbath morning. Don't feel put upon. Why didn't the pastor take care of that himself? That's because the pastor is dependent on you. The pastor needs your help to be able to do that and work with that. You'll coordinate with the elders, the deacons, uh, the elders and uh, the pastor in doing this work as deacons and deaconesses. Be alert for problems or potentially dangerous situations. A classic in Michigan is a, a sidewalk that's got ice on it. And uh, all you need is some visitor to come or even a member, I should say, and especially a member, whatever, coming in on Sabbath morning, sliding on, slipping on that ice, smashing their head, calling the ambulance and off to the hospital they go. You know, this happened to my wife a number of years ago. She came out after a potluck lunch at a, at a, a church in Michigan and she hit a patch of ice on it and she was on her head instantly. It hit her in the back of the head. She called me and told me what had happened and I was really worried about her and I insisted that she went to the emergency room. Unfortunately, I had to insist that she did it by driving herself to the emergency room. But I'm telling you, those kinds of situations are very dangerous in our church. You as deacons and deaconesses need to be aware of those situations and you need to try to mitigate them. You know what I mean by mitigate? In other words, prevent them from happening. Take the steps necessary to see that they don't happen. If you've got carpet that's coming up on, on stairs that somebody could trip on or whatever, then you need to figure out what you've got to do to solve that so that that doesn't happen. Could be water on the floor. Could be water leaking out of the out of the ceiling. I had a um, I had a pastor and uh, and the leaders in the church recently um, telling me about the fact that they came to church on Sabbath morning and water was uh, from rain was leaking through the roof onto the piano and that kind of thing. I mean, you know, you, pianos are expensive, y'all, <laughs> and so we need to care for those those situations. Foster an environment of reverence. In the worship service, um, you know, there was a day, maybe we need to go back to this. <laughs> Forgive me for, for what I'm saying. You're saying, what are you talking about? There was a day when the deacons in the church would have a nice long rod. And it, you know what I'm talking, you know where I'm going? And they would, if somebody was talking in church, especially a kid or whatever, or, or falling asleep or something, they'd have that rod and they'd tap them on the head. <laughs> you know? All right, that's not what I'm referring to here exactly. But what were they doing? They were trying to facilitate reverence in the church. But what can you do to facilitate that? First of all, set a good example yourself. Um, in some cases, it might be a well-placed sign reminding people of reverence. Now, be careful with that. I'm just saying that there are things that you can do that you can help to facilitate that. Um, and uh, as deacons and deaconesses, you might talk about steps that you could take. Maybe it is even visiting church members. And as you visit them, remind them of the wonderful opportunity we have to worship God and that we want to be reverent in the sanctuary as part of education. I don't mean imposing on them and being mean about it. I'm just saying part of an education process. I think elders, deacons, and deaconesses don't realize that they have a great opportunity with visitation, which we'll talk about in a moment, to be educating church members in a lot of different areas. And as a matter of fact, it is the responsibility of you leaders and those leaders, elders, and uh, not just the pastor, to be educating the 
family of God about worship of God, living for God, and all of that. We'll talk about that a little bit more as we come along, but that's a way of being able to do that. Obviously, collecting the tithes and the offerings and having a systematic way of caring for that. And uh, it might also be that the deacons uh, or, and or deaconesses would be not only call, collecting the tithes and the offerings, but also counting them and having a good plan. As I told the elders in the, uh, in the early part of the week, I'm telling you as well, that you should always have more than one person counting the money, that those individuals should both sign a sheet. There should even be a formal sheet, not just a torn out piece of paper that somebody found off of a you know, newspaper in the trash or something. But there should be an organized way of doing that every week where somebody signs, counts the money, and signs off on it that they counted it with so much money and then that money is turned over to the treasurer. That is for everybody's protection and especially the treasurer. If I were the treasurer of the church and the money was not counted before it came to me, I would refuse to accept it. Do you understand why? Because if I don't and there's any money question about that money or money theoretically missing, I've got no proof that I didn't take that money. But if you count the money as deacons and deaconesses, that is all taken care of as it should be. Absolutely. That's exactly what's there. It's for everybody's protection. And it's so that the members who are giving the money and guests who are giving the money have confidence that the money that they're giving is being used for its intended purpose and not sending somebody to Hawaii or buying new cars or something like that. You understand what I mean by that? So um, you need to have a good plan. Just a word regarding that so that you are aware of it. Treasurers sometimes have fallen into that trap. I had a situation not very long ago where a treasurer in a local church was counting the money themselves. And when the pastor approached them in relationship to that issue, and even the head elder approached them about doing that, they simply quit being a treasurer. Now, let me tell you, I already told you what, if I were a treasurer, I would have refused to even get near the money under those circumstances. And sometimes people say, well, you just don't trust me. It's got nothing to do with whether we trust you or not. I don't trust everybody else. I don't trust myself. I don't trust whatever because I want to be faithful to God. I want to do it the way God wants me to do it. And when I say I don't trust anybody else, I'm just saying there are too many challenges out there with life and we don't need to uh, compound them. So we need to make sure that's being done that way. Um, we have had situations in Michigan where treasurers are dishonest and have taken money and used it in ways they shouldn't do it. And so we need to have that check and balance as well. Um, and it, we've had problems with others, uh, other things along the line also. Um, so we need to be careful about that. Another thing I want you to know is that if you happen to be a head deacon, any head deacons here? Head deacons, all right. Head deaconesses as well. Yeah. Let me say to you that in, uh, in this regard, if you sit on the church board, if somebody ever, a treasurer ever says, well, you know, the pastor says, I, I, you know, I'm not able to see the church books because the treasurer won't let me see the church books. I want to remind everybody that the pastor has not only the right to see the church books, 
but the responsibility to see the church books. Nobody should be blocking the work of the pastor in that regard because what is, what is done in relationship to handling money and the, con the contributions of people to the church is a spiritual matter. That's a spiritual matter about their relationship with God. If someone is not returning a faithful tithe, that's a spiritual issue. Malachi makes that abundantly clear. When God says, why are you robbing me? Is that a spiritual issue or is it not? Okay, so the pastor needs to be ministering spiritually to the needs of people who have not yet learned how to trust God. And when we are using the tithe for our own purpose, it means that we are not trusting God. And the pastor has a responsibility to support, to encourage, and to help people to learn to put their faith in God and to be able to, to do that. He doesn't know that the need is there if he can't look at the church books and see what's happening in that situation and work with it. It's his spiritual responsibility. Ellen White makes it abundantly clear that the pastor has the responsibility and he needs to be caring for his responsibility. And a treasurer, she doesn't say this, I'm saying this, a treasurer does not want to get in the way of a pastor doing the work God expects him to do. All right, I said enough on that. Just because I know that's been coming up lately, I've been hearing it more and more, so I figure I'm going to share it with the leaders so that you all have an idea. After the worship service, clean the worship area. You may have cleaners assigned. You might have a janitor assigned to the church. That's perfectly fine. But you can also take care of some of the basic things that might have happened on that particular Sabbath. There might be some paper lying around that you can pick up and just make sure that things are there, especially if you have another service coming on later in the afternoon, a Vesper service in the evening, something like that. You want it to look presentable when people are getting together. It might be just involved in straightening the, uh, the hymnal books and the Bibles and the pews and so on and so forth. Distribute handouts and other items when requested, oversee and perform other tasks as needed in relationship to the worship service. I'd also encourage that the deacons and deaconesses should be having regular meetings. You hear me? I know that when you heard that you said, you know, Pastor, I was hoping you would plan another meeting for me because I just love meetings. Okay, maybe you weren't hoping I would say that, all right? I understand that we're all busy people, but unfortunately or fortunately, we are an organization that functions with committees and meeting together. Deacons and deaconesses need to have meetings from time to time. In some cases, it might be just the deaconesses and on another case, I mean, and, and a different meeting for the deacons because they might have separate responsibilities. <coughs> But I would suggest that at least quarterly, the deacons and deaconesses should meet together, if for no other reason to pray than for the church. Should the deacons and deaconesses be praying people? Should the leaders of the church be coming together to pray for the church? So that is part of that, but they should also be coming to talk about the needs. If you're doing visitation, what did you discover out there about people that might need some help? Maybe the deacons, one of the deacons went out with his, with his deaconess wife, you know, because that's often the case. They go out and they visit a family. Um, maybe it was a, a shut-in lady, member of the church, a widower, widow, get that right, a widow in the church, and they went to their home and found out that, man, she's got a roof that's 
you know, leaking and all that. She's living on the, on social security and, and barely getting by month to month. She doesn't have money to fix that roof. What if the deacons and the members of the church said, we're going to fix their, her roof for her. We're going to do the work there. And, uh, you know, we will even take up a special, uh, collection to be able to pay for the roof or, or maybe money out of a benevolent fund the church has and go and fix the roof. Though that's the work of deacons and deaconesses, taking care of the members of the church who can't care for their own needs. You don't know about those needs if you're not visiting. I'm ahead of myself. You had your hand up. Yeah, um, should the I am so glad you asked that question. And I don't even, didn't even tell you I'd pay you to ask that question, did I? I want you to know that the question, and I'm repeating it for the recording, he said, should the elders sit in on the meeting? When I talk to the elders, I talk to them very briefly about the fact that it's their responsibility to oversee the various departments of the church. And uh, it may not be all the elders sitting in on that meeting, but I would say the head elder or an assigned elder who is responsible for that should sit in on those meetings so that there is coordination, not so that they can see what people are doing right or wrong. Right, yes, not wrong, but so that, so that there is coordination and there is input and, uh, and all of that. Yes, they should, and I would encourage that by all means. During Sabbath school, what should you be doing during Sabbath school? Well, maybe one of the things is going to Sabbath school, <laughs> okay? Um, but there are other things that can be done. Of course, preparing the facilities is natural, but be present in one of the Sabbath school small groups. You might even be teaching one of those classes. You're a leader in the church. I know you're a deacon. I know you're busy, but you know... Folks, it's not good for the deacons to be sitting back in a back room, one or two of them, and just having a chat session and all that while Sabbath school is going on. The deacons should be out there. The deaconesses should be out there. They should be part of the spiritual involvement in that Sabbath school class. So let me just give you an extreme. You want to know what's going on in that Sabbath school class because God has given you a spiritual responsibility for overseeing that congregation. Let's just say that, that the, um, the Sabbath school teacher, the regular Sabbath school teacher was not able to be there that day. And so they asked a substitute to go in and teach the Sabbath school that Sabbath. Now, first of all, they shouldn't do that <laughs> without it being somebody that is approved to teach the Sabbath school. You understand what I'm saying? But let's just say they didn't do that that way. They got somebody to teach in the church. And that particular person has some kind of a, um, a focal point for their lives that they want to share that doesn't happen to be good, solid Seventh-day Adventist theology. You're sitting in that class as a spiritual leader. You are watching and you're observing. Now, you are just planning to be there because it's your class. It's part of your work. But as you're listening, you're saying, Wait a minute, this person's talking about uh, something that I know we don't believe. They're telling everybody that you should go to church on Sunday and not on Sabbath. And here's the reason you should do that. Well, you're a leader in the church. You should be aware of what's happening. Now, in a really blatant case like that, you'd want to be able to correct it right then and there in a nice way, but be able to say, you know, brother, I don't think that's really what the Bible says. And uh, um, how did you come up with that? Maybe we should talk about that a little bit more because we need to be sure that we're teaching what the Bible teaches. 
But that's what deacons and deaconesses are for, to be able to, and that's not all, but I mean that's one of their duties, is to safeguard the church from confusion. Today it's a lot worse than that, and it's a lot more subtle than that. Let me tell you of a situation very common. I think it's slowed down today because of the steps that we've had to take. But we've had a group in Michigan who believe differently about the Trinity than the Seventh-day Adventist Church believes and teaches. What they have been doing is they have been going around to churches on Sabbath morning, and they have gone and sit in a Sabbath school class, and they just simply start asking questions. And they carry some literature with them, and they start planting seed and making connections with people. We, and, and then, you know, they, somebody says, well, you know, uh, you're visiting today, why don't you come over to our house and, or you stay here for potluck and then they start, do you see what happening? what's happening? Now sometimes they're even a little bit more blatant than that. Sometimes they'll even try to take over the Sabbath school class and start telling people what to do. Now we had to finally get to the point, and this is deacons and deaconesses, where your work comes in. We finally had to, on the conference level, ministerial director has had to say to pastors, tell your deacons, your deaconesses, and the elders, if these people show up because they were in regular and in one particular area, part of the country, part of the state, we said if they show up, you tell them that thank you very much for coming, but you need to leave, okay? And if they refuse to leave, we tell them because we've told these people the same thing. We will call the police. The reason we will do that is because they are violating our right to uh, free association of worship. We have a right to worship with people who believe like we do. And if people choose to come there and be disruptive, people who want to come that aren't disruptive and listen and learn, of course we want them. But if other people are coming to take people away from us by being disruptive, no, they don't have that right to do that. They, people say, well, there's religious liberty. No, religious liberty allows us to decide who attends our church. It's not a public gathering place. It's private property. And that's why even on this campground, in years past, we've had people come on this ground trying to take over here, literally, trying to take over. We had a whole group of people in a van that came here one day, and uh, they sat in our church service, and then they started standing up and disrupting the church service, and we had to escort them out. Okay, anyway, enough of that. I don't want to spend the rest of the day dealing with that issue. But I want you to be aware of the real things that are going on. In Sabbath school, be prepared to facilitate the group of the teachers unable to attend. You might need to take over a Sabbath school class if the wrong person is getting in there. So study your Sabbath school lesson every week. Serve as a Sabbath school teacher if requested. Oversee and perform other tasks to ask for Sabbath school as needed. Communion and foot washing, I think you understand that. I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that particular area because I think you already have a pretty good idea on that. Here are some things up on the screen. Um, materials that are available. Warm water is good. I plan to collect and dispose of the used water. Um, some people like to put bleach in the water. Be careful with that because bleach can get onto people's clothes and that kind of thing. So you got to think three things through. Little details make a difference. 
You also need to take care of the towels that if they're uh, not paper towels, if they're regular towels, they need to be washed, making sure all the materials, the chairs, the supplies get back where they're supposed to be, assist visitors, single women who wish to participate, who have children, there may need to be a way of taking care of kids so they can participate, etc., etc. You understand what I'm talking about? So I'm not going to take uh, any more time with that one. During the communion service itself, obviously there's a very organized plan for your church that works with the uh, facilities that you have and the tools that you have. Um, the uh, trays for bread and uh, grape juice, uh, sometimes they look like this where they are in one, one, uh, uh, one device. Uh, most churches today still have the tray for the grape juice uh, separate from the, from the bread. Whatever works for you, whatever you've been able to work with, uh, there's no theology that says you can't do it that way, but you need to have an organized plan. You need to, I encourage churches to practice at least periodically, if not before every communion service, just so that people are aware of what they're doing the next day. We don't do it every day. So I like to do it on Friday night um, and, uh, and rehearse it. It refreshes in my mind what's happening and uh, for the leaders as well. Also, there may be rotation going on with the deacons and deaconesses, and you should be rotating. If it's the same deacon, if you've got five deacons and five deaconesses, but every time it's communion, it's the same deacon and the same deaconess that are doing it, or the same two, you're not helping. You need to be training those individuals how to do it, which is why that rehearsal service is valuable to be able to utilize that. So just keep that in mind. You need to prepare the area. You need to uh, have uh, everything ready to go. You need to take the tables down afterwards. You need to clean all the equipment and supplies. You need to respectfully dispose of leftover bread and wine. Do you know what respectfully means? It's the right way to dispose of it. Grape juice is poured out on the ground, bread is burned, and, uh, and disposed of in that particular, in, in, in that manner. Everybody with me? Burned or what's the other way that we... Buried. Buried. That's it too, yes, thank you. I don't do that all the time, you know. I leave that to the deacons and deaconesses. Also, the laundering of the tablecloths and so on. Return all tables and supplies to the storage area. Okay, we can repeat that a half dozen times. Oversee and perform other tasks. There's another task with communion services that needs to be cared for. Can anybody think of what it is? People that are need a partner. Ah, okay, that's good, yes. That's part of it, that's part of it too. Not the one I'm thinking of, but it is it. It actually comes after the service is done. Prayer and What? No, yeah, no. That, okay, you guys, all right, you're on the right track. You're thinking, and all of the things you're saying are actually accurate, all right? The one thing I'm thinking about, what about the shut-ins? Okay, don't forget the shut-ins and participating with the elders and the, and the pastor in relationship to that. So, okay, I've said enough about that. Baptismal services, generally we understand that as well, and usually uh, there's somebody with experience that has been able to do that, preparing the baptistry, making sure it's clean, uh, usually a deacon takes care of that, then make sure it's full, uh, hopefully making sure the water's warm, and uh, especially in the winter, 
changing rooms are prepared. Every church has different facilities. Sometimes it's hanging a, a curtain down the middle of a back area. Uh, whatever your facility allows, you need to prepare that area for that. Making sure there are baptismal robes and towels where they need to be, sized to people to make sure that that's cared for, that, uh, you know, somebody who's six foot seven tall is not going to wear a robe that comes up to their waist. You know what I'm saying, that kind of stuff. Making certain there are no electrical equipment near the water. This is a safety issue. We don't have as much trouble with this as we once did. But you know there's been more than one pastor who's died in the baptistry because of microphones and those kinds of things falling into the water. And so you have to be very careful. It's a very traumatic thing for a church to go through that when their pastor is electrocuted because something fell in the baptistry. And that has happened. It's been repeated a number of times. So you need to, as deacons and deaconesses, make sure it's a, a whole area that's safe and that the pastor is not... General, I, I, I want to say this carefully. I think that handheld mics are usually safe, but I really just don't want them near me. And uh, I like to have somebody... I don't, I'm not going to take a mic into the baptistry. Um, if there's one that is... Uh, secure and hanging over my head, that's okay, because it's very secure. But sometimes they put portables right in front, you know, and that's okay too, as long as it's not in the water and it's not going to be able to be over the water and falling into the water. Assist male candidates, deacons who are being baptized, female candidates uh, doing the same with uh, females. Clean uh, the areas afterwards, laundering all the materials, overseeing, perform other taxes needed. One of the tasks that I'd like to encourage you to think about in baptisms is making sure it's a special event for those individuals. Sometimes they take place on the church service. Sometimes they take place afterwards. Afterwards tends to be real easy to make it special because you, you don't just come together and say, okay, we're going to have a baptism. And so you walk into the baptistry and then the pastor baptizes and then they walk and go home. Usually some kind of a service is taking place. And so it's more natural for it to feel special. But when it's on Sabbath morning, it could just be tagged into and slipped into all the other things that are going on, and it doesn't feel really special to those, those individuals. There may be afterwards that there needs to be some kind of a, um, a uh, uh, at the end of the baptismal service, at the end of the church service, where the pastor provides, uh, provides the certificates of baptism to them, maybe a flower, maybe the deacon, uh, deaconesses give the lady or ladies a flower, the gentleman, maybe a book. I mean, whatever. I'm just saying something that can make that event special and commemorative. Uh, usually we encourage, there's a, a beautiful book that members can sign. Uh, Welcome to the Family is the name of the book, I believe. And you get them from the ABC and you can use those as a tool to give out. But you want to make sure that that's a special service that's going on. Funeral services. Uh, prepare the uh, area if it's at the church, because that's where your responsibility comes in, providing a private area for the family to be able to gather prior and then coming into the service, just working through some of those things. Uh, food, uh, remember you might have, a, you probably will have a lot of non-Adventist guests, family members, friends that might come to that event perhaps even serving as pallbearers, uh, gentlemen as necessary, uh, even ladies, I suppose, today. I don't know that I've seen that, but it does happen. Oversee and perform other tasks as needed. Do you have any questions about any of these things before I move into the last couple of areas? 
All right, I want to spend most of our time talking about caring for the sick and the poor and also talking about the, uh, the visitation and a couple of those areas that I want to talk about today. The Seventh-day Adventist Church, deacons and deaconesses, over the last 50 to, six, 50 to 70, 80 years, have slowly moved away from a lot of the duties of deacons and deaconesses that might come more naturally in a society that wasn't like ours today. Today we have paid nurses, paid social workers, paid doctors, paid everybody to do all kinds of things, and we see that there are a lot of services we expect from the government and so on and so forth. So when people get sick, we expect that they go to the doctor, they go to the hospital, that a social worker, if necessary, uh, makes arrangement for, for them to be cared for, especially if they're elderly, when they go home, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, i.e. nobody is needed to take care of that person because the government and medical services take care of everything. Well, not necessarily. But that's kind of the attitude we have. So we've backed way off and we don't worry about any of those kinds of situations anymore. But the truth is we need to worry about it more than we do. Because there are many times when there are people that are in the hospital and they go home and they've got no food, but they really don't have the strength to be able to do it. The deacons and deaconesses should be aware of people's needs. And if somebody's going to the hospital, the bells should go off in their mind. They're going in the hospital. Wow you know what, I know they don't have any kids around here. Hmm, I wonder if the kids are coming to help. What can I do to help? And even if they've got kids that can help, you can make an impression on those many times non-Adventist kids by showing that the church cares for them. And, uh, you know, I just stopped by. I know your mom just had surgery. And uh, I'm so thankful that she's got family to watch over. But I want you to know if there's something we need to do to help, maybe you're going to be going home and she still needs help uh, afterwards. You know, what can we do? Here's my phone number. Give me a call. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you, that even happens at the hospital. Maybe it happens at the home. We need to be broadening our horizon about the needs of people and realizing there are many things that we can do to care. No, you're not a nurse. No, you're not a doctor. No, you're not a social worker. But you are a human being who can provide some very basic things. Deacons. You know, if I've been in the hospital. The grass is out there is growing like crazy like right now. I mean, if I'm in the hospital for three days and I've been sick before and I'm recovering afterwards, who's going to mow my lawn? Well, sometimes I've got good neighbors that will do it, and sometimes I don't have good neighbors. And so we want to be careful. You see what I'm saying? Broad horizon out there of what we can do to help. And this is our church family, and we should take care of them. Exactly. We should care for our family. They are family, just as though they were blood relation, because in reality they are. <laughs> we go back far enough, we all go back to Noah, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Good point. Thinking about the needs of that individual beyond where, I, where, where we are. Thank you. That's a good point. Um, for the recording, I'm going to make that comment. Shopping for people uh, is an, as a need. You know, don't think about it. You know, the refrigerator's empty. I've been in the hospital. I mean, even if I feel good enough to eat, I don't feel good enough to shop, you know. So thank you. Very, very, very good point. So that's up on the screen. Uh, also, keeping the pastor informed of what's happening. Pastor, uh, so-and-so is home from the hospital. They're doing real well. Pastor, say, thank you very much. Do you see any needs there that could be? No, but at least I, I want you to know that they're there. You might want to give them a quick phone call and let you know you're praying for them or whatever the case may be. So, you know, so on. Let's talk about visitation and conflict resolution. 
These are the last couple things I want to focus in on today. First of all, visitation. Have the elders and deacons of the church looked after the weak and have the elders? It's not a statement, it's a question. Have the elders and deacons of the church looked after the weak and straying ones? And have they realized that the wavering, uh, the wavering are in danger of losing their souls? Have you tried, both by precept and example, to plant the feet of the straying on the eternal rock? It is important to note that we have a responsibility to care for the spiritual needs of our members. We don't know those spiritual needs if we don't interact with them, if we don't fellowship with them. And it's not enough to fellowship with people at potluck on Sabbath uh, morning or afternoon after the church service and say, well, I have fellowshiped with them and I've met with them. Most of us don't have a personal conversation with people at the potluck that helps to identify what spiritual needs they might have. Occasionally, that does happen because maybe something unusual is going on. Some people are very, their faces are very in tune with what's going on in their lives. And if they're really down when they're usually very, you know, bright and bubbly people, you will usually pick up on that. And at pot like you might see that, hey, you know, is everything okay? But there's some people who are very straight-faced all the time, and most of the time they're just, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. And But you go to their home and you find out that things have changed. More importantly, we need to be visiting people with a purpose in mind of encouraging them in their walk with Jesus. So I'm going to put some things up here on the screen. They're in your notes. To become better acquainted with church members. We don't know each other very well anymore. We tend to be very isolative. We have cell phones and computers. And our way of communicating, even with teenagers today and some adults as well, they will sit in the same room next to each other texting each other. You know, the art of talking <laughs> with my mouth, with my eyes, is almost gone. Society, uh, sociologists, and others are very concerned about this, and we ought to be. They are concerned about it from a, from a societal point of view. We ought to be concerned about it from a spiritual point of view. And the fact that we need to be getting acquainted with each other. We need each other spiritually. We need to be praying for each other. We need to be encouraging each other. We need to be teaching each other. We need to be strengthening new and absentee members. If people, if people stop attending church who've been attending regularly and they don't receive a visit from, the, from somebody in the church, i.e. the elders, deacons, or deaconesses, it won't take long before they'll get in the habit of not attending church. And I, I visited people who have uh, not been attending church for years. They just said, hey, I stopped attending 20 years ago and nobody ever came to check up on me. Nobody ever called. Nobody came to visit me. That should never happen in the church. And our only excuse is that we get busy and we think, well, I'm going to be embarrassing them or whatever. And we don't realize that that's, things are not well there. If somebody doesn't show up for two or three weeks, it's a good time to say, hey, is everything all right? Are you, are you well? Um, hey, I've been on vacation. I just got back. Oh, fantastic. I'll be back in church next week. Wonderful. But you might call them and find out, ah, not so feeling so good today, or, you know, three weeks, four weeks, 
Now you're starting to develop a habit. All right? Five, six, seven weeks, don't let them get in that habit. Because if it's that way, something's wrong. They're not attending church. Maybe somebody offended them. Maybe they're mad at the preacher. Maybe they're mad at you. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we need to be working on that. Visiting members who are unable to attend services, that needs to be a practice, not just the pastor, but elders, deacons, and deaconesses. So make sure that their spiritual and physical needs are being met. Assist the pastor and elders in conducting communion services with those who are sick. We already talked about that. Visit families who have lost loved ones. Folks, not just the pastor needs to care about these kinds of needs of people. And the more people involved, the more the people know that the church cares about them. We also have a problem when it comes to the issue of visitation is that sometimes our church members think that if a pastor doesn't visit them, it doesn't count. You need to work with the elders and the pastor to educate your church members that when somebody comes around from the church as a representative of the pastor, you need to be educating the church members that you are assistants to the pastor. And when you come around and visit, it's not because the pastor is ignoring you, it's because the pastor is trying to care for many different needs and he wants to be sure that the spiritual needs and the, uh, the, the beneficial needs of members are being met by the work that the deacons and deaconesses are doing. I'd like to talk a lot more about that. I can't do that. Identify the needs of the elderly, disabled, and widows in ways we've already talked about. Uh, watching for their physical needs and building needs, etc. To give comfort and support to church members that are in the hospital. Even doing visitation. If you've never done hospital visitation, the pastor should be able to help you. Elders are, should be able to help you. If none of you have done it before, then get together with somebody who has and learn how to do it and being able to meet that need. To help church members who are housebound, sick, recovering from hospital stays, single parents also of their own gender with household needs, ladies helping single mothers, gentlemen helping single fathers. There are such a thing, you know, and we need to make sure that we're caring for that. But ladies don't go to a single man's house to care for them, and gentlemen the other way around as well. Address a family in crisis. Encourage faithfulness and Christian stewardship. Encourage people in their spiritual walk. One of the things that we need to do is have a plan when we go to the church. That's what's on your screen right now. When we go to the members, I mean, not church. You want to prepare ahead of time. In other words, what are you going to do? The first time you go out visiting a particular person or family, you're probably just going there to get acquainted. You're still coming there spiritually. You're still going to pray with them when you get done, but you're basically getting acquainted with them because you don't know them yet, and you're doing that. You want to be a friend of theirs, but you're more than a friend. You're also a spiritual mentor and encourager. You want to read the Bible when you go to visit them. Every time you go, have some spiritual thought that you want to share with them from the Word of God or the Spirit of Prophecy when that's appropriate. Ask, are there things to be prayed for? Pray before you leave. Always pray before you leave. You're doing a spiritual visit with people. And then when you get done praying, what is the next thing you do? Leave. I, it's up there for a reason, because sometimes we linger too long in, our, in what we do. After we pray, you want the spiritual emphasis to be the last thing that they remember. And so leave. 
take care of other things later or say, you know what, if they bring up something, say, look, I'll call you about that or whatever, and then leave. And then go out to your car, get down the street a ways, not out in front of their home, and quickly write some notes so you don't forget about what you did at that visit. So you know what's coming next time and those kinds of things that happen. I could talk a lot more about that. That's another place. The last thing I want to talk to you about is conflict resolution. I'll remind you that resolving conflict was the deacon's first assignment. Did you know that? Told you that yesterday. Visitation gives you opportunity to resolve conflicts between church members and sometimes to stop those conflicts before they spread. You and I need to be in tune as leaders of the church with things that are going on in people's lives. If so-and-so, if, if Sister McGillicuddy is upset with a pastor and is upset because they, she thinks that the pastor is saying things about her behind her back or I don't know, whatever, if you happen to be visiting and the, Sister McGillicuddy um, is, uh, has some confidence in you, she may say, you know, the pastor's been, whatever. You have an opportunity not to gossip with her, but to stop her gossip. And if she needs to be talking to the pastor about it, say, you know, you need to talk to the pastor about this yourself. Oh, I can't talk to the pastor. I'm not going to then it might be that you need to help mitigate that by saying, you know what, I'll go with you and we'll talk to the pastor together and resolve it. Many times that's all it takes to solve many problems before they get along any farther. All right, church resources, I really don't need to say a lot about that. The physical plant is something that you are called upon to deal with. I could say a lot more about conflict resolution, but keep that in mind there. Um, helping to watch over it, take the church plant. I think that's all I'm going to say. Oh, the last thing is teaching God's Word. I want to encourage deacons and deaconesses to be more active in giving Bible studies because, as I said yesterday, you're disciples, to actively share your faith and teaching other people to share your, their faith. You need to be helping the personal ministries department in sharing the, um, the truth along the way and helping them how to become disciples themselves, that is also part of the work that God has given you to do. Um, we've already talked about a number of those things. I think that's it. The last thing I want you to remember is this. The Word of God increased according to Acts chapter 6, verse 7, because the disciples did the work that God had given them to do. Well, I hope this gives you a general idea. Make sure you have a handbook. Um, if you don't have one, get one. If you have others that don't have it in your church, encourage them to purchase it, uh, either themselves or have the church purchase it so that the leaders of the church have the tools they need to be able to do that work. If um, we can do something to help you, I do training in round in churches. I'm happy to do that. I especially appreciate it when churches will gather, uh, multiple churches will gather together so that we can train more at one time. But uh, I want you to know that I have done this in a number of different places, especially generated after classes like this, so that we can come and help your churches grow in this particular area. So thank you very much for being here. Let's have a prayer and I'll... I'll let you go. Father in heaven, I want to thank you for these deacons and deaconesses, their love for you, their commitment to you, and their willingness to serve you. Lord, we've talked about a lot of things here, 
uh, going through rather rapidly, heightening our understanding of the work that you've uh, laid out for these leaders of the church to be doing in their churches. I pray that you will guide them, that you will direct them, and help them to be successful in their ministry, taking one step at a time, trusting you at every step to help them to do this work. And thank you for hearing our prayer as we go about the rest of this day. May your blessing go with us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.